Today we are underway with something we do from time to time, but not all the time, and that is choral worship. And choral worship is demanding worship. It's not demanding only for our choirs and for Ray and Beth Chenault and Carol Kimmel and, everyone, and our musicians and everyone who's worked to practice this demanding music. Choral worship is demanding for all of us. It's, it's rather like contemplative prayer. It's the kind of worship that requires our attention. It's not exactly like listening to a concert. And it's not watching others do the praying for us. It is allowing the words that we always say, the story that we always tell, to resonate in our minds and in our hearts in ways that, uh, with enough space to stir our imaginations and to allow us to know what we're feeling. I was listening to Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, and we say glory, and we say holy, and allowing those words to take on resonance and, and stir up what is going on in our lives. And, and the choir's music merges with the desires of our own hearts and the thoughts and imaginations we have, and we allow ourselves to be turned toward what matters, reminded of what is really important. That worship that orients us, that is in effect repentance, that turning, reminding us that we are made by love for love. It's demanding worship. And in the same way, Lent uh, and our Lenten observance is a demanding season. On Wednesday, we were invited to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by the holy councils of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. And that invitation gave rise to the old joke that is sometimes told that Lent is therefore the time when Episcopalians try and act like Christians. Because <laughs> the idea being that we're doing what we, just for a season, what we ought to be doing all the time. And it's, it's an okay sort of joke if we tell it among ourselves, but it's not okay for others to tell about us because they're missing something, they're missing something very important. And what they're missing is that our way of being Christian and growing in trust for God involves particular seasons of particular emphasis. And Lent is one of those seasons where it's not that we're being asked that we ought to do things we ought to be about anyway. It's more that we're doing them through a particular lens. And that lens is preparation for Easter, preparation to celebrate the resurrection, having taken time to really be honest in a way that's hard about who we are and who we are not. And it begins with the imposition of ashes. Remember you are dust. Remember your mortality. You are going to die. And then at the end of Lent, remembering that life is a gift beyond measure, given by the one who can bring life just gives the gift every day and can bring new life out of death. If we do our spiritual work, we won't be celebrating Easter with our fingers crossed and with a vague hope that everything will be all right so that in the end we can get straight back to living as though the accumulation of wealth and the avoidance of death are really what matters day by day. We can be changed. We can be reoriented. We can turn again if we take this demanding season seriously. And it's not only choral worship, and it's not only our observance during Lent that is demanding, our whole way of living the faith as Episcopalians is demanding. 
That's not to say there aren't other ways that can be demanding. But our way is demanding because of this, because of the fundamental recognition that God gave us some measure of freedom in how we respond to any invitation to live the grace-filled life. Now, we may on occasion find there are norms in the community that help us learn to trust God, practices, ways of doing things that we all generally do. But we don't have a law that enforces the spiritual path, such as the observance of Lent. There's nothing that says you're going to be in trouble if you don't do it. There's nothing that says you can't take communion if you're not making confession, although that's a practice. Sometimes we experience faith as a given, like when we're baptized as an infant and raised in a Christian home. But however much our parents hope that we will enjoy the blessings of a life of faith our whole lives long, the reality is that many of us will, and most of us have, in freedom at some point rejected that way of life, at least for a season. Maybe somewhat consciously, maybe just being idle, but either way, rejecting it for a season. And parents sometimes worry where they went wrong with their children reject the faith as adults. But when we're parents, and just as our parents did, they have to recognize that that God-given freedom that allows their children to do just that. Perhaps what is worse than seeing our children reject a way of life that we think is fundamentally important is to see them go even more deeply into it and join one of these purity sects where they know they're a great deal more Christian than we are. I have a friend who's um, an Episcopal priest of a fairly conservative stripe, the kind that would intuitively think that I'm dodgy, but he loves me anyway. <laughs> and, and his son has joined um, the Church of Christ, which some of you know is a separatist purity group. Uh, I visited the North Atlanta Church of Christ recently. And there's a lot we can learn from them. It's a great group. But his son's joined a group that thinks that half that lot, like the North Atlanta guys, are too liberal. And, and he spends a lot of time uh, when the family is together um, telling his father what a hypocrite he is. And that's terribly, terribly hard. It's hard for any remnant or expression of love to survive such righteousness. But my friend keeps on inviting relationship and suffers as everything his son perceives as his hypocrisy is pointed out to him when they're together. You see, you do your best. We all do our best with each other, with our wives, with our husbands, with our children, with our partners, and with our parents, with anyone we love. We do our best. We create the structure we can in those circles of influence that we have. We share our own hopes and fears where appropriate. We say sorry when we mess up. And we recognize that in the end, all those people we love have the same freedom that we do. And we accept that what, was off, what we've offered is the best we know to offer and let those others that we love find their own path, trusting that God is watching out for them and finding ways to extend the invitation that we were given once and we were given grace to receive and accept. And it's this personal freedom that we are given in faith that what makes our Episcopal way really quite demanding. Maybe it's okay to call ourselves Catholic light, but I don't want other people to do it. I don't want other people to do it because I believe that our Catholicity, 
that is based on right relationship before doctrine can be at least as demanding as following any set of rules and at least as demanding as trying to conform our beliefs to some pattern declared from above and claiming to make sense for all time because we are always being drawn toward relationship where there is no rule book that will guarantee that we will get it right. And instead we have to work and keep working and keep reaching out and keep opening ourselves and keep risking and keep hurting and keep loving and keep knowing joy. That's the demanding way. And we can find that we have all the support in the world just as birth takes a community but no one can be born in our stead in the end. And just as new birth takes a community, and especially when we're raised in the church, we have to accept or reject our identity as Christians, and no one else can make that decision for us in the end. There is no substitute for our doing our own spiritual work. And so temptation comes, as it always does, in the form of thinking that what we do and say here really doesn't matter that much. Certainly not once you've got the hang of it. You know, church may be something you do when you don't have something better to do. Maybe it's just another version of the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness, all of which are temptations to be less than he is, to take shortcuts, to let things slide, to say, well, you know, it's not really about fasting, it's just about chocolate, and, and kind of blowing it off and compromising integrity for the sake of what seems to be an easier way, an easier choice. Jesus didn't take the path of that easy way, and nor should we. I worship this day as a reminder and an invitation to take the road less traveled, to accept the invitation to that demanding life that opens up extraordinary possibilities of joy. Our Lenten observance is opportunity to practice the faith mindful of our mortality and the gift that is life. And while our Episcopal way, live, our Episcopal way is living the faith year in and year out, our whole life long is both preparation and practice of living with integrity toward what really matters. Practice and preparation for putting our whole trust in God's grace and love. So may a brief time of silence Mark the call to pay attention in this season, to renew our commitments, to give thanks for our freedom, and to do the work we've been given to do. Let us respond to the gospel once again in silence and in prayer.